0: Hi friends, Dr. Shelley here. Guess what? You're not going to believe this. I have another book coming out from Llewellyn Worldwide. It will be out on December 8th, and it's called Blast from the Past, Healing Spontaneous Past Life Memories. So earlier in the 2000s, I wrote a book series, which I have discussed on the Healing Arts podcast about a phenomenon I call Supretravii. Spontaneous past life memories. This is when we're trying to mind our own business and yet we're hit with this picture, thought or feeling about something that happened to us in the past. This was happening to me all the time while I was traveling to other places. And what I found through my research is that I truly believe this happens to every single person alive. The book has some incredible endorsements from people like Coast to Coast's George Nori and others, and it would mean the world to me if you will go out and pre-order my book so that you can have it before the holidays when it comes out on December 8th. So check out Blast from the Past, Healing Spontaneous Past Life Memories, now available in pre-order on Amazon.com. And thank you so much for your support. Namaste. Welcome to Healing Arts. I'm your host, Dr. Shelley Kerr. Hi, friends, and welcome to another episode of Healing Arts. So I have just read one of the most fascinating books that I have had the pleasure of reading in a very, very long time. My special guest today is Mortellus. Mortellus is a mortician, a British traditional witch, high priestess of the Coven of Leaves, and member of the National Funeral Director and Morticians Association. She's got an incredible new book from my publisher, Llewellyn Worldwide, who we all love, called Do I Have to Wear Black? Rituals, Customs, and Funerary Etiquette for Modern Pagans. Martellus, welcome to Healing Arts. Your book is genius, it's brilliant, I really want listeners and viewers to know, I don't really feel like this should be limited to just pagans, because the research you've done here is absolutely stunning, and I learned so much, I couldn't put it down. Thank Amazing. You.
1: I really I really wanted to write something that would be for everyone. I wanted a person who was going to be a guest at a funeral to feel confident picking it up, or, or people in the death care community who we're trying to better serve those families and I I really wanted there to be something for everyone.
0: It really is this is incredible you've got all of the um all the rituals from all kinds of traditions all over the world you talk about mythology. I want before we get into all that I wanted to ask because it's so fascinating how did you become a mortician and how did you first get interested in this line of work that is so unique?
1: Well, I, uh, I talk a little bit about it in the book, but uh, when I was young, I had a near-death experience, which really impacted my life and sort of the path I found myself on. And as an adult, I wound up doing a lot of volunteer work through hospice and, and other such palliative care sort of organizations. I've always been around death and in my work as a clergy person, I've, I've, I'm often serving funerals or serving the dying. And um, I guess I, I came to a point where I felt like the the gods wanted more from me and and that I could better serve them by going deeper into uh, the ways in which I could serve the dead and the dying and uh, so I, I you know strapped on my student hat went back to school and uh, got a degree in mortuary sciences and um, I graduated right at the beginning of the pandemic, which is crazy. So instead of going off to a residency and, and all that happy jazz, I was thrust directly into COVID volunteering. So it's been kind of an adventure, um, but I'm, I'm looking forward to getting back sort of on that track in, in a more ordinary way.
0: So you were gonna do a residency and then COVID hit is what you're saying?
1: Yes. Um, oh my gosh generally speaking in the funeral industry, um, much like nursing or med, I mean, people don't think about it, but uh, mortuary sciences is a healthcare field. We are mm. uh, medical professionals. So we graduate and then we go on to do a residency or apprenticeship of, of a period of time, depending on what state you're in and licensing and all that fun stuff. Um, but right into the pandemic. So it was basically like all hands on deck everybody get in there, you know, we need help everywhere that that we can get it. So that's kind of in my life for the last year, year and a half.
0: Wow, that's incredible. So how long I I was curious, how long does it take to complete your degree track in mortuary science?
1: It really depends on um, the state or even country that you're in or the requirements of where you are. It can be anywhere from, well, it, it also depends on kind of what you're, you're learning. Mortician's kind of an old fashioned term. Not a lot of people use it anymore. You are an embalmer or a funeral director. Um, I took a degree with both. Um, I just like the term, I think it's fun. And um, so it could be anywhere from six months for just a basic funeral director's degree to, uh, for years to study embalming and uh, mortuary sciences, you you're very much learning to be a surgeon for the dead. So it's very intense. Um, but uh, it, it it wasn't new to me. Of course, I uh, that's my fourth degree, so I have quite a few under my hat.
0: That is so interesting. So I, I interview some fiction authors and stuff. So this is more like a fictional TV kind of question. But you know, when you see people on television and they're going to study this kind of work, they're always passing out and things like that. Is that how it is in real life, or is that just a, a ridiculous cliche? It's.
1: it's <laughs> I, I, of course, I can't speak for everyone everywhere. I can only speak to the experience I had where I was at the time. But um, some people don't make it. Um, there certainly were far fewer people graduating with me than started with me and um, the school that I studied at actually we, um, we did a donor program in, in a very busy lab but uh, we would have individuals from medical programs come into the mortuary department to do their um, do their autopsies and dissections and that sort of thing. Um, our embalming professor ran that program. So people in that department were often sort of on the sidelines of watching these these nurses and future doctors coming in. And they were always the ones that couldn't handle it. <laughs> I, did, I did see a few people uh, wind up in the bathroom vomiting a few times. And then oh the general God. sciences people are like, just mm-hmm. <laughs> kidding.
0: That is so interesting. It's always the tough guys or whatever, the people who think they're all, you know, this and that, that I guess can't really handle
1: it. I definitely don't want to uh, make any sort of gendered comments. I myself am non-binary, I use they them pronouns, but um, I will say that there has seemed to be a correlation between the more masculine presenting individuals and kind of that um, they come in the door thinking they can they can do it and don't make it. Um, But then the people who are moms, you know, they're the toughest ones. We've seen it all, right? There's nothing can, nothing scares you.
0: Yeah, I'm in a writer's group and we just had a, you're just reminding me, we just had a woman who was a forensic investigator. So she goes out to any Unattended death. And so she was speaking, I haven't told my friends on healing arts this surprise friends. Guess what? I listened to some interesting programming, but she was talking about the same thing that when people go to do that kind of work, that a lot of times they're just not going to cut it because they just can't handle it. So did, I guess, was this something that really felt very familiar and natural to you that you handled it well?
1: I guess if I'm being very, very, honest and vulnerable, I grew up in a very difficult situation. So I had seen quite a lot of things. And uh, by the time, and not to mention serving, you know, home burials and and palliative care as as clergy or as volunteer prior to that. So I had certainly seen human death. I'd been around it. you never know the first the first day you walk into a lab to do uh, an autopsy or, or a dissection. That's usually your first experience is a dissection. Um, you never know how you're going to deal with it. But um, I felt very at home, I guess. Um, it was a circumstance where I felt I felt like my gods were with me. I had their strengths and it's where they wanted me to be. So I, I definitely had that fortitude of spirit going into it.
0: I think think it's a blessing to have people like you because it's it's something that we need people to do certain people need to be doing that obviously so so thank you for your service and and thank you for your service during COVID that's unbelievable I mean that's amazing don't you feel like you're getting a lot of amazing um experience that maybe wouldn't have happened if you had just gone to the straight residency
1: sure oh I absolutely I mean I, I certainly feel very confident that I've I've I have every possible skill I need to take out into the world. But unfortunately, a byproduct of of the situation is we don't actually get any uh, demonstrable credit for that volunteer work whatsoever. So it's like it didn't happen. (laughs) I'm sure
0: someone will recognize. Yes, it did happen. And at the beginning of the book, you speak about this mission that you have, which is to broaden the scope of the kinds of services or just the kind of recognition that's available for different people when they're going through the death and bereavement process and all the rituals in that because of the terminology at school that people were to receive like a, a traditional Christian burial. So can you speak to that and how I believe, let me tell you something, you have fulfilled your mission with this book. This is absolutely phenomenal, but if you could speak to your your passion. I mean, it's just incredible.
1: It, I've been a pagan person for a long time. I've been a witch since before I knew to call myself that, certainly. But going into, into that setting, I definitely was, you, you expect a certain amount of conservatism in, in certain places, but I was very much caught off guard by how deep it is in that in that industry. There, there were so many instances where we'd be doing, you know, homework assignments and we'd be assigned like a, we were given this one essay to read um, and to write a paper about in which a Christian burial is sort of equated with dignity. Um, if you say a good Christian burial, or for example, a good Christian woman or whatever. Christian comes to mean a respectable, dignified, respectful, that sort of thing. And it, it really, it broke my heart to sort of watch people around me interact with that because um, nobody knows what to say, right? I think largely a lot of people in the world are are apt to just take what is in front of you and go and feel bad about it later. That's kind of the, but I've always been a stubborn sort of person. So here I am with this essay in which it literally states that uh, pagan people should just be given to dogs to eat because it isn't our job to bury them. And whoa, hang on how can you give us this and call it a useful assignment you know these materials are largely out of the 1950s and and they're using things like they're they're equating families with man woman married two children and a dog and anything else is in quotations right and all of these sort of old-fashioned ideals that just need to go away And uh, sort of a funny thing too, I I took the name of of the book, Do I Have to Wear Black? From an experience that I had in class one day, I had walked into the labs and there were two individuals having a conversation and both of these individuals were doing continuing education. And um, so they, they work in funeral homes, they own funeral homes, they've been in the industry a very long time. And they've never met me before, and they were having a conversation about one of them having attended or served a Wiccan funeral. They were t- <laughs> so, of course, you don't, you, you're like a scientist, you're taking those, you, so I'm just overhearing them. And uh, they, they go on to say that, that it, it gave them the creeping willies, it gave them the creeps being at this funeral. So I asked why, I'm curious. And uh, they told me that the, you know, the priestess dressed all in black, and you know, just the environment of it disturbed them. And I, and I asked some questions, and it was in a funeral home. This service, so the environment was one they worked in every day. And the best thing I could tell was the only thing different was the faith practice of the attendees. And. And I'm a coven leader and I'm a high priestess of a coven. And I was imagining that this person was probably just wearing something in black because it was a funeral and it was probably just a dress that they owned, you know. Right. And and with that context in the back of my mind, I, I couldn't, I couldn't help but be caught off guard. And and then that person said something that that stuck with me. He said, if I attend a Wiccan funeral, do I have to wear black? And I thought to myself, everyone wears black to funerals. It's very, that's a common color of mourning. Why is it ordinary for everyone but us? Why is it sinister if it's a pagan funeral? And just realizing the sort of depth of that disparity just stuck with me. And I thought if that's the kind of questions they really have, I'll answer them. And I wanted to put something to page and I really never, I never meant to write this book. Truly, um, on a on a whim, a whim, I wound up just sort of ranting about it to to a lovely Llewellyn editor. It was something I was so mad about at the time. And <laughs> he said, we need this book. We need something to to fill this gap. And they said, "Well, why don't you write it?" So <laughs> here, here I am. But. Um, I am happy to report that my alma mater uh, has picked up the book as required reading, and I was asked to re-record lectures for for Funeral Services 112, which is the class in which students learn about um, different uh, religious practices which when I took it was just different kinds of Christian denomination <laughs> funerals. What's the difference between a Catholic funeral and a Lutheran funeral it was sort of what I studied, but uh, students as we speak are getting a much wider variety. So perhaps wow. in that small way, I made a difference.
0: You've made a huge difference. I mean, I can tell you that this is so in-depth and so wonderful friends. You won't even believe it. I mean, you've talked about everything and you include the other things as well which is just so fascinating now you do i I like past life regression stuff that's kind of what i write about and you do mention reincarnation there so i was just curious like on a soul level does this feel resonant to something that maybe you've done in the past or have you have you ever thought about it that way
1: i i confess i've never done any sort of past life work i don't i don't know a single thing i could possibly say on that topic I'm very curious okay. about it certainly <laughs> maybe maybe one day I'll, I'll have a session with someone and learn something interesting about myself but I um I think that it, I do talk about a bit in the book the experience that I had when I died and I and I won't go into it too much please go pick up the book and read it yes pick up but, the book um, <laughs> I um I talk a bit about how during this death experience, you know, here in, in the physical plane, I was in a coma in a hospital bed. Um, I, I was deceased for eight minutes almost uh, as they tried to resuscitate me, but that eight minutes to me felt like a lifetime. I came back with a life's worth of memories. And my, my general belief about the experience is that the little girl that I I was when I died, I was five years old. That little girl who had suffered so much did die and got to stay there somewhere safe and at peace. And, And I'm glad for that. But the me that I am now that came back, I might have those memories and I might've lived the rest of that little girl's life, but I was made something different. And that's not to say that I'm any kind of special or unique, just to say that the gods sent me back with purpose and serving the dead is what I'm meant to be doing. And I, I feel strong in that. Um, and there's a certain amount of comfort in feeling like you have a direct purpose, so knowing mm-hmm. what that is and knowing where you fit, you know? Feeling the edges of your puzzle piece just click into place. There's no questioning what you're, what you're supposed to do with your life, and that's very comforting. There's no fear of dying because I've done it. I know what it feels like and what I've seen. Um, I look forward to going back there one day and, and finishing out the rest of my existence as I'm meant to. Um, I don't intend to particularly have an afterlife after this one. Um, I'm finishing up a book now, which I'm turning over to Llewellyn. It should be up for pre-order this fall. And I'll be talking quite a lot about death magic and in it, I've added a ritual for summoning me after my death. And I should hope that I can continue to serve the living uh, in death as I did the dead while I was alive.
0: Wow, that is fascinating. I think it is amazing to see that you you are living your purpose. I think this is something that a lot of people struggle to find, and you've definitely found it. Here's a question I had. Um, you've got some beautiful quotes throughout the book. People, you need to pick it up. Check it out. Beautiful artwork. It's unbelievable. There's a really cool quote that you have. I won't read the quote, but it's from Tecumseh, the chief, and the gist of it is he's talking about when it's your time that it's good for you just to go you know, and be a hero and just go on peacefully, etc. And it kind of reminded me of um, some things I'd heard in like Buddhist literature, where there's, there's some importance to be had in terms of how we leave the life, we want to leave the life peacefully, because it affects our afterlife, etc. So I was just wondering what you think about that.
1: So I think and I say this to people often, what I think is just my opinion. What is belief is right. a very strong opinion. So take it leave yes. it. It's not worth much to anyone but me. But um, to really answer those kinds of questions, I think it, it's highly dependent on how a person views the soul. But that's the big question around death and dying and death magic and doing, I imagine, past life work and doing work with necromancy as I do. Um, The question is, who are we working with? What are we doing? Who are we talking to? And if we look at the soul as a singular entity, that does not work on any level. That's pretty broken. Um, But that's also an extremely modern and extremely Christian idea, the soul as a singular entity. Almost every culture throughout the world had a view of the soul in multi parts. Norse heathenry views the soul I'm um, being overly simplistic, but in, in three pieces, we see that in uh, Greek practices and also Roman practices, since it's like a bad tracing of Greek practices. <laughs> um, and in uh, Egyptian practice, we see nine parts of the soul. And that is to a degree what, what I resonate with. I do work with that quite a lot. Um, up to the name. That's where I split off just a little bit because um, I, I have this nice 20-sided die line here because, because I'm a nerd for your listeners. So they'll know what this is. But <laughs> if we think about every name we've been called in our lives, it's like the faces of this die. It's every nickname you've had, a magical name, something your lover called you in the dark something that you're called as a child. Your birth name, your married name, your divorce name, they're all little pieces, tiny little fractures of your soul. And it's okay for them to be fractured. And it's okay for some of them to be dead and not be part of you anymore. I like to sit down sometimes and think about how many pieces of me are, are buried and gone. How many names have you not been called in 20 years? And the only person that called you that name is is now dead, right? It's sort of a fun thing to sit with. Wow. But I do think that leaving this world with appropriate funeral rituals is important because those rites give closure to the soul. I don't like to say that that we need to die peacefully because that's not reality for everyone. Life is messy and difficult and we don't all get the luxury of dying quietly and fulfilled, but each of those little pieces of who we are can go on to find their own kind of peace and purpose, even in death. You know, some of the bigger pieces go on to be guides Go on to an afterlife or to reincarnation but maybe we leave some of those smaller pieces behind in memory or in deeds we've done small ways we've changed the world in the stories that we told and i think that's its own kind of piece
0: yes absolutely yeah you're right we're we are really so multi-dimensional as you said i had never thought about it with the names though but you're exactly right because we play different roles and we're we are different people to different people and that is very very interesting it's just absolutely fascinating um
1: i like to remind myself every day every single day as an affirmation that death is only the end if you believe the story is about you and you are not always the protagonist and you are the villain in someone's story and it is important to look at yourself as a bit character in the world and see yourself as other people might. Because you might not recognize some of those faces other people see.
0: Absolutely, wow. Absolutely. The other thing you talked about in the book, um, we all love pets and you have a section in there about the importance of our pets, and you said something really profound that I've thought about recently, which is that the, the love affair that we have with the pet is perhaps teaching us how to handle grief in, in a certain way so that we can prepare for other times of loss and, and that these relationships should be honored just like a relationship with a human. So would you talk a little bit about
1: pets? Um, no longer wishing to use that word. Um, I I found that there is a belief that using a word like pet implies um, a dominant and submissive uh, quality Mm. of the relationship, that it does not put humans and animals on equal ground. They are something to be owned and therefore something to be put aside. Um, So I started using the term companion animal through the writing of that book. And I don't like the word wildlife either because it implies that there is, there's an acceptable way for animals to behave and exist. There's there's wildness and there's domestication. So these creatures are not better or worse or more or less, we are all sharing this world together. We're companions in the world and I think that we should honor that equally, just like we do any other human. We know psychologically that, that human beings respond to the death of a companion animal just like they do to yes. that of a human being, but we don't respond to that in the same way. I think I say in the book that if you know if your aunt died, you could call in sick to work and, and say you needed to go to the funeral. But if if a dog you've lived with for 15 years dies, if you called in to work Uh, someone would probably laugh at you. We don't make space for that.
0: Right. Absolutely. You also talk a lot about um, helping people come to terms with different kinds of situations that we're all going to find ourselves in. Sometimes people have an illness and you speak to the idea that this is hard for us to get our minds around when we're in a very highly technological society. And yet sometimes it's unexpected and the differences in those things and how we should behave or how we should nurture ourselves, depending on what it is that we're having to deal with in these different scenarios. So I was just wondering if you could speak to that for a minute as well, which is fascinating.
1: I think all grief is valid and and certainly we learn we learned when we we're studying death care and doing sort of palliative care volunteer work, anticipatory grief can be really, it's very hard to deal with because you find yourself in a position of grieving someone before they've gone, which can be disconnecting and it can put us in a place of. I'm, I'm sure you've either seen it or experienced it yourself where you've had an, an elderly relative die or someone die at the end of a long illness. And by the time mm-hmm. you're standing at their funeral, you don't have anything left. And right. you might, be, you might be perceived as cold because you've already let go and that feels wrong inside. So your, your, your mind doesn't know what to do with it. Um, and I, I don't talk about it much in the book, but another type of of death that can be really difficult to respond to is disenfranchised grief or other types of complex grief where we grieve things that don't make sense to an external person. Like throughout COVID, we've all had to change so much, and you might experience that type of grief when mourning the, the normalcy of life or Mourning the death of someone truly meaningful to you whom you don't actually know, like uh, the late and great Ruth Bader Ginsburg or other such individuals. Uh, sort of letting go of, of ideas and ideals, and it can be just as impactful as physical death. And, and I just don't think we make a lot of space for that.
0: Right. Absolutely. You talk about also... Um, something that I, I agree with as well. You talk about like how we should find grace when we're dealing with someone who chooses to end their own life, that that should be dealt with, with grace and compassion rather than, I mean, to the extent that maybe we have to go through some emotions getting to that place, but that why shouldn't that person have a right to, to choose that?
1: Um,
0: I, I just, I, I definitely resonated with that as well
1: very difficult topic to speak to or write about without being perceived as being pro-suicide which i'm certainly not and if, if anyone listening or watching is is struggling or or experiencing suicidal ideology i hope you'll talk to someone and you know, reach out that mm-hmm. hotline send me a message i'm usually up all night i'll sit and chat with you there are lots lots of things you can do and, and often suicide is just a a passing moment that we need to pause for but for those who have done it once once the opportunity to to help and heal has passed what good is there in punishing ourselves and punishing them in death for a choice that's been made it's it's done i think a lot of our feelings about suicide societally are tied up in uh, Christian ideas about sin. Um, And I I often remind myself that it's not a sin because you have killed someone, it's a sin because of the pain you cause others. Um, And that's, that's something new to sit with and think about, I think, but if, if pagan individuals are coming from a space where we are singularly responsible for our choices and, and what we do is up to us to make peace with, that puts a very different lens on suicide, I think, because we have to recognize that in the second the choice was made, they had the autonomy to make it. And our pain is what's ours to sit with. Right. We can't carry that anger um, forward and we can't continue to hold space for for that sort of guilt and just so that antagonistic feeling toward the dead because they have to go on to a new existence now and maybe their purpose exists in the next space that they find but
0: over the years with readers and clients, you know, have asked me that question. Like they say, you know, a loved one has done this and what do you think? Are they gonna be okay? You know, I just have never considered that to be a sin. And so that's why I wanted to ask you about it because I think that is something that the people who are left behind um, are unfortunately struggling with a lot.
1: And again, I cannot stress this enough for those listening, please do seek out help if you are mm-hmm. that way. Yeah. This life is difficult, but that does not have to be the choice we make. But I do think that a lot of those responses uh, for the living it, are tied up in that sort of colonial Christian, uh, white European sort of ideals about uh, morality and faith. You know, we can be pagan our whole lives. You could be staunch in your beliefs and be confronted with a moment like that. And in your grief, you wonder suddenly if they went to the bad place, right? because we all have that programming inside. And that's, that is something I talk about in the book, sit and meditate mm-hmm. on that program, let that go, <laughs> just put it down. <laughs> you, you can't carry around that question mark all the time. And one thing that, that I've done, and, and I grew up in a very, very staunchly evangelical space. Um, so, Even I have that question mark sometime in the back of my mind because when you hear it every day when you're a child, it's it's like brainwashing, it's in there. But I ask myself every day, if if I died and found out that heaven and hell is how it is and, and Christianity was correct and I was wrong my whole life, would I still be doing the things that I'm doing now? Would they be worth it to me? Would eternal damnation, air quotes, be worth the choices that I have made? And that's a good measure for me sometimes, I think, because yes is often the answer. If you measure your life against those kinds of values, then you often find what you're willing to support and what's important to you.
0: That's a great point. So, one when- thing i want to know why do you believe in your opinion that the west this modern culture is so afraid to talk about death so afraid to deal with it and we just don't want to even we kind of want to pretend like it doesn't exist why do you think that is happening in the modern society or do you i do but i mean i don't know
1: we have very short memories as human beings we think about things like they are right now but history has been going on for thousands of years. If we look at much research at all, we'll know that we've had ebbs and flows of discomfort with death and death positivity. And in fact, it's often balanced with sex positivity. In a time when any given culture is particularly sex positive, they tend to be death repressive. And when we are death positive, we tend to be sex repressive. So if we roll back the clock, say to the 1940s. Prior to that time, people were having home burials, digging their own graves, building their own coffins. I am, of course, talking about the United States. I'm being narrow in my focus. Um, we were very death positive, but we were not particularly sex positive, right? And then World War II happened and most of the nation's children came home in boxes. And we saw a lot of death until we couldn't stand to see it anymore. And then we went into the Cold War. So we focused as a nation on the nuclear family, which put aside the elderly into retirement homes and put all the ugliness aside for someone else to deal with. And we focused on canned goods and nuclear families And then what happens, we go into the 1960s, where we have free love and this huge sexual revolution, right? We become very open as a society about sex and love. And we've stayed there. But you can see that death positivity went the other direction with it. And truly, we're reversing trends right now. And that that does tend to repeat itself throughout history.
0: Absolutely. Mortellus, this is an amazing book. Friends, you've got to check this out. It's incredible writing, amazing research. One of the best things I've read in years. So you can visit Mortellus online at mortellis.com She's got an incredible. They have an incredible website. You will love it. Beautiful artwork. Um, it was a joy to connect with you. And I just wish you incredible success with this. Congratulations on getting this taught in school. It's wonderful.
1: Thank you. Um, for your listeners, I, I hope I can encourage you to go to the website and check out the forums that I just launched there. We have uh, pagan friendly, pagan and neutral spaces for all manner of specific bereavement. So we have brief support forums there lots of people to chat with you if there's something you just need to talk about in a non-judgmental space or if you want to be there to chat with others it only survives if we all support it and uplift it and help it grow um so i hope that you'll all take time to do that
0: that's fantastic all right friends we've done it again another episode of healing arts i will see you next time namaste Did you know that scientists now say that up to 50% of your personality is carried over through your DNA? I know, right? It's shocking, but apparently it's true. And that's the reason why you will love my book, Heal Your Ancestors to Heal Your Life. Through the book, you can take guided journeys into the past and discover places where your ancestors need healing You can send loving kindness, grace, and healing light to your ancestors and experience the ripple effects as that wonderful energy travels through time and affects all people in your family tree. So check out my book, Heal Your Ancestors to Heal Your Life from Llewellyn Worldwide. My book, Past Lives with Pets, was just awarded the 2021 Coalition of Visionary Resources Award in the animal and pet category. It got the silver medal. Thank you so much for all of your support of my book. I am grateful. My friend George Norrie says, Dr. Shelley Cares Past Lives with Pets connects people to their pets in a way few people have ever experienced before, through past lives, she makes a case that our animals are with us for a reason. Their grief recovery processes are invaluable for anyone who loved and lost a cherished animal. That's from George Norrie, Coast to Coast AM. So my book will give you guided imagery exercises where you can discover how you knew your pet in the past and if you have loved and lost your beloved animal, I'll help you go through a very gentle grief recovery journey that can really help you in this very, very difficult time. So check out my book, Past Lives with Pets, and thank you in advance for your support. Right now, when you purchase any of my Llewellyn titles, that would be Meet Your Karma, The Healing Power of Past Life Memories, Past Lives with Pets, or Heal Your Ancestors to Heal Your Life, I will gift you a free audio recording where you'll go into the Healing Arts School and you'll be able to take a guided journey straight from the book. And I'll give this to you free with your purchase. Just send me an email, send me a copy of your receipt Shelly, that's S-H-E-L-L-E-Y at ShellyCare, kaeh com, And I will enroll you into a guided journey. You can also find the details about this offer on my homepage on my website at PastLifeLady.com. Thank you in advance for your support of my work. And I hope that these guided journeys will help you.